coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. There's so many people that continue to hold on to these stories that says you're not ready to lead until you're an expert. I would challenge that to say that you are ready to lead when you're being your truest and authentic self. Do you want to learn the tricks the top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help. Lead to Succeed picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 31. This episode's interesting fact is, the ancient marathon was reborn at the first modern Olympic Games in Athens in 1896, when 17 competitors ran 24.8 miles from Marathon Bridge to the Olympic Stadium. Marathons of around 25 miles continued until the London Olympics of 1908. Although the length was initially intended to be 26 miles, with the start at Windsor Castle and the finish at White City Stadium, Queen Alexandra requested the distance be extended by 385 yards or to 26.2 miles to the East Lawn so that the royal children could watch the race from their nursery. And that's where we get the 26.2 mile length that we still run today. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Armando Cruz. Armando is a connoisseur of exp- experiences, a husband, father, adventurer, ultra marathoner, lifestyle physical therapist, legacy coach, and now the best selling author of The Legacy Code Modern Man's Guide to Escape Obscurity and Live a Life Unleashed. Armando helps growth minded men live happier, more connected, and more fulfilled lives. He does this with his immersive coaching program that helps men show up powerfully in their relationships health, business, and impact to create a legacy that inspires. Armando, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, Armando, I've heard of all sorts of coaches, life coaches, executive, which is what I am, leadership as well. There are relationship coaches, marriage coaches, you name it. But I never heard of a legacy coach before. So talk us through a little bit. What is it and why would people want to hire one? So a legacy coach is essentially a coach that helps you actively create your legacy by helping you get clear on your vision, focused on your purpose, and create a precise process that takes you, that allows you to create the action that you need to create it. The reason you'd hire a legacy coach, if you're the type of person that is driven uh, by excellence, if you're the type of person that wants to leave impact in this world and has a desire to serve to your greatest potential, that is really what a legacy coach can help you along that process. You know, it's a fascinating idea. It kind of conjures up in in my mind the Stephen Covey idea of begin with the end in mind. You know, having a sense of what your purpose is in life or trying to accomplish that that vision and then creating a framework, a plan, a sense of direction that will ultimately help you get there and leave a tremendous impact both for your family and your community and perhaps those that come after you. Am I, am I going down the right path with this? Correct. Yeah. In, in the book, we established there are two main uh, types of legacy. One is personal legacy and the other one is impact legacy. And the way I like to s- distinguish the two is your personal legacy is the impact and the, what you leave in, inside the people that matter most. In other words, the things that they can take with them. And then essentially your impact legacy is to quote, I I believe it was um, uh, Newton that said, if I've seen so far, 
It's because I stand on the shoulders of giants. I believe that was mm-hmm. Newton. That kind of thing. It's who can you become the shoulders for others to see further? And that's more the impact legacy that you leave. That's very interesting. So kind of like this idea of, so, so let me actually, before I make any assumptions, what would be an example of being shoulders for others? Well, here, here's an example. When people like shift the way we think about things, it makes a big difference. So there have been people, uh, you know, an easy example is somebody like, let's say, um, Steve Jobs, right? That's an interesting one because he created a paradigm in the way that we interact with our devices. He made it in such that it's about the experience and not the details, so to speak. And so they created, in, or, or he was able to innovate in a field that was really actually straightforward. And he created a design and a lifestyle around that. But if you actually take his life, he created a, a deep impact legacy. You know, other people have been, their lives have changed. Think about how we communicate in this day and age. And a lot has to do with how he changed what the phone was. It was no longer a phone. It was, you know, for a lot of us, it's a sales machine. It's a music machine. It's a peace machine. And for some people, it's a really stressful machine, you know? Oh, um, yes. And a very distracting one, if I may add. Right. If, if you allow it to be that, right? And that's the thing. Is do you allow it to control you or are you controlling it? And that's a big distinction, I think. I don't think it's inherently bad. I think it's how you use it or how it uses you that really will determine that. Sure. But if you, if you look at somebody like him and you look at his personal legacy, instead of really serving to the highest, the people that were closest to him, again, I wasn't one of those people, but what has been written about it is that he was actually a kind of a jerk to everyone. The people that matter most, instead of really serving them really intently, he actually pushed them away. And he actually kind of took advantage as opposed to really enhancing that. And so you have there that dichotomy of someone who, who just went one way and failed to, to, to look at in my opinion, something that's even more important. So let's stay with that, Armando, if we can, because I'm thinking about this, you know, often I I love to quote the Steve Jobs of the world because of the fact that they made such an impact like you described. But I often find that the average person can't really relate uh, to someone like Steve simply because their technology or their work will in all likelihood not have the impact of one of the most impactful people ever, you know, certainly to walk the uh, the, the earth in the 20th century. And so my, my question to you, Armando, is what would be an example of a quote-unquote average person, a regular Joe, Naftali Hoff, someone similar to me, who wants to make a legacy for myself, not only in the present for those around me that I could, but that I could also, again, coming back to this metaphor of putting someone on my shoulders, making something better or easier uh, for somebody else down the road. What would an example of that look like? Sure. Let's take you for for an example, since you since you brought it up, right? Um, oh, free co- free coaching! Is- I love it. Go, <laughs> Go <laughs> well, ahead. Well, you, you said that you're an executive coach, right? I am. Yes. And so, what, when I hear executive coach, I hear someone who's going in um, on an executive level in companies and helping them do what? Tell me what it is that you actually do there. Uh, it's everything from helping them understand their own sense of, of of purpose and direction, getting clear on goals, you know, working with them on building teams, a wide range, depending, of course, on the interests and needs of the particular client. So now you're taking someone like that, right? And you can take 
hey, how do you become the shoulders? Well, what you provide as a coach is more clarity to allow that person, that executive, to be able to impact the lives of and the lives and families of all the people that are working for him, and then the consumer at the end, whatever service they're providing or product they're providing. And so if they're aligned with their highest self, in other words, if you're teaching them to, to have more clarity on their vision, on their like what it is they want to do and why it's important to them and how to align with that best version of themselves so that it stays true to their values and beliefs, then all of a sudden, you've created a chain reaction to create impact in people you will never, ever see. And so there is an impact legacy that is not always easily to measure because this doesn't have to be something you measure. And a lot of times we think that it has to be being a Steve Jobs, when in reality, I always say you're better off when you're dealing with relation, when you're talking about people, you're better off going uh, a mile deep and an inch wide than just butterflying around and just saying hi and being a politician and just shaking hands. Sure, You're better off investing in one person deep than just high-fiving a hundred people and never knowing or really impacting them. Because that one person, you will have completely transformed their life. And the impact that they have in this world is something that you will never have a full grasp of. So I would say that's that's one way where you become the shoulders for someone else. It's a great idea and a, and a beautiful image. And I'm thinking that as you're portraying this, if you will, for us, that on the one hand, you can never measure, like you said, there's no way to know what my impact will be in the long term if I influence one person and that person then has the trickle effect in influencing others and compounds over time. But I do think it is important, and correct me if you if you disagree here, that People do take a little bit of time to think about, if I do this, what will the impact potentially be? I mean, I know for sure, but what will it be potentially be? Because I think we do get motivated when we see that our work really makes a difference. And there's so many stories that, that really support this idea. So even though you may be doing it because you just want to be a good person, you just want to serve, you just want to help somebody out. But at the end of the day, if you start to think about how, if I engage with this person, if I teach them something, if I, if I help them shift the behavior, et cetera, how can I ultimately go ahead and improve circumstances, not only for them, but for their long-term? I would say that I agree with you. I would add this to it. I would add this to it because sometimes what ends up or what often ends up happening, especially when you're dealing with people who are achievers, that sometimes or oftentimes you forget that who you're becoming is more important than what you're achieving very often. And so the person that you show up as, in other words, if you're always chasing, you're always behind. As opposed to if you're creating, now you're taking the forefront. And so instead of thinking about, oh, this is the legacy I have to chase. In other words, like, you know, what is the potential impact? And that's important as long as it's preceded by what is my big vision? How does it align with my values? so that I can stay in alignment and this impact that I'm making is part of the process. Whether that impact happens or not, this is the path that I've chosen because it aligns with essentially what I want to create in this world. So again, it's not an either or, it's just I want to make sure that it gets preceded by the proper intention and focus so that 
that doesn't become something you're chasing, but something you're creating. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And I want to stay with alignment if I can, because I think that that's a really important concept. And you, if I, if I got it right, reading through your bio in our conversation before we started recording, you know, you place a great emphasis on healthy living, you know, you train and, and it's one of the key things as part of your professional portfolio, being a physical therapist and all. And so I was wondering, Armando, it seems that you draw a strong connection between healthy living and successful living. And if I got that right, what would you say is the biggest benefit for health training outside of actual physical fitness? So if you look at high performers, if you look at people who, who are at the top of their game, they exercise. It's just there's no other way to do that, especially when you're talking about people who are moving society in leaps and bounds. They exercise at least two to three times, if not more times a week. But stepping away from that, here's what physically putting your body through exercise can help you do. Number one, it helps you physically train getting uncomfortable. If you want to step into greatness, you need to be willing to get uncomfortable. If you want to be a successful leader, you have to do uncomfortable things. And so putting yourself physically and mentally having to kind of push through some of these, whether it's some reps or, you know, I like running. So maybe, you know, it's running very long distances and knowing that it's not going to be enjoyable. It's going to be painful, but there's a process to that that's actually teaching you that you can apply in all aspects of your life. And I'm not saying that you have to go all out every single time. In fact, I don't recommend it, but training actually will train getting uncomfortable because that is part of it if you want growth. I love the answer because um, you know, typically I would expect an answer something along the lines of, well, it, you know, it gets your, it gets your heart, you know, heartbeat going and you can focus better and all that stuff, which is great and important. Uh, and some of the things I would talk to, you know, cause I do actually exercise quite a bit myself, but I love this idea that you talk about as exercise as an opportunity to get uncomfortable. And I think that that's something that leaders really need to be dealing with on a regular basis, especially with the fact that in our 21st century economy, we're constantly, that's, that's the new normal. You know, being uncomfortable is just the way that society is going to require us to operate if we're going to be successful because the game keeps changing and people keep changing and the needs and service keep changing. So I think that that's a great metaphor, whether it's through exercise or other things that you can do to mentally prepare that being uncomfortable isn't a bad thing if ultimately it produces a great result. You know, I remember seeing a video from a Dr. Tversky, who's a great psychologist, and he talks about uh, lobsters and how lobsters, when they, they grow, they have a hard shell and they reach a certain part in their growth. And as a result, they have to shed off, they have to remove the outer shell. They go under a rock and they produce a new shell that's to size. And this process repeats itself multiple times because that level of discomfort ultimately allowed them, so to speak, to break through. And they, they're not, they're not, you know, stress is not necessarily a bad thing if it ultimately pushes you in the right positive direction. Uh, agreed. Agreed. Uh, stress has, has taken a negative connotation because people don't know, just, I mean, and if you want to go down that, cholesterol has also. There's a lot of times that people, and, and very often it's the media and the people that speak loudest that often don't have a good understanding of what it is. So they hold on to one aspect because it fits their 
narrative much better. But when you understand that stress equals either death or growth, it either it helps in either direction. And it's a, it's a function of just like anyone who's going to be successful in life, it's not what happens to you, but it is how you deal with it. Because you can get people with ridiculous circumstances and they still come through it. And all of it comes down to the lens in which you view it. And part of that is training your brain to be uncomfortable. And, you know, one other thing that I would, I would add to that, and this is from a neurological level, right? So this is the brain now, the effects of, of helping the, you know, with, with the physical training is that when you do that consistently, it becomes a pillar of stability on which to build a successful day. You see, our brains love prediction and response. They need to know what's going to happen. It does not like change, which is why people are afraid to get uncomfortable and people are afraid to, to change what they're doing. Even if what they're doing is not working, the unknown is worse than the stuff that you're doing that's not working because at least you know the outcome of that. And so this provides an opportunity for your brain to have essentially a post on the ground for the day that you know is going to be stable and says, this is unshakable. I can use this to build my next step uh, for the day to be more successful because it gives you something stable in which to work on. So routine within the exercise is absolutely uh, imperative if you want to continue to grow as a leader in your business, in your household, and, and personally for yourself as well. Beautiful. So uh, I want to pick up on on two different points. I'll go one at a time here. So you you kind of uh, debunked the myth a little bit as it relates to stress. Is there any other common leadership related myth that you've encountered uh, that you think is just it's a myth, you know, and and, and the reality lies elsewhere? Sure. Um, let me give you a, a quick story on this one. When I was in high school, I was a let's just say a, a very square, per, like I had very, very clear goals and, you know, get out of my way. Cause if, if it's a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right, I, I don't want to deal with it. And when things wouldn't go my way, it would like completely destroy my day. And I remember from a leadership perspective, I remember having a lot of hesitation leading some of the guys, some of the team, because I felt like I hadn't reached a level of success. I hadn't gotten to this point in my mind that said, you can only be a leader if you've achieved X, Y, or Z. And what I realize as I continue to that there's so many people that continue to hold on to these stories that says, you're not ready to lead until you're an expert. And I would, I would challenge that to say that you are ready to lead when you're being your truest and authentic self. And I know that sounds kind of wishy-washy for some people, but I, I would say that would take probably the greatest amount of courage. You're not as a leader saying you know everything, but you are showing up as the best version of yourself. And if you're being honest with yourself, there's no one that can do you better than you. So instead of thinking that you have to achieve a certain thing to be a leader, become you, become the best version of you, become the growing version of you is probably a better statement because that's always moving, but become the growing version of yourself and show up in that way. And that's what's going to attract people to follow, right? Because in order to be yes. a leader, you need followers. And so people want mm -hmm. people that are authentic 
people that can be courageous enough to be themselves in spite of their flaws. I love it. And I think that that's really so important, especially with the way so often leadership has been marketed and greatness has been marketed somehow as a ready-made product and people who, for lack of a better term, maybe just showed up and became who they are. Uh, We often don't know the backstory. We often don't realize the challenges people had to encounter. And I think that that's one of the reasons as to why people who do make themselves vulnerable, who put themselves out there, who share their, their moments of weakness and their challenge, as well as, for example, in your case, Armando, the story you shared about, you know, your progression from high school till today, I think that's what makes people very relatable and ultimately allows followers to not only select leaders, but really get behind them because they feel that these are people not only who care about them and have what to say, but also walked a mile in their shoes. And so that's a very powerful story. And I thank you for sharing. And it actually allows me to transition nicely into another question, which is routine related, because I think that even though we could talk big picture, we have these great ideas of what leadership might be, but there's a lot of grunt work involved. There's a lot of prep. There's a lot of daily grind, so to speak, that ultimately allows a person to grow day by day to become the very best that they can be. So take us through, uh, lift the curtain, if you will, a little bit, Armando. How do you prep for your own day? Tell us about your morning rituals. Um, let me preface it by by taking a step back for a second, because I, I want to put this in context. Like you mentioned, I, I wrote this book. I almost failed out of English and literature in high school. Okay, So the thought of I, that I actually wrote a book that became a bestseller is mind-blowing to me. People also, so, you know, I've had people say, oh, congratulations, you're so lucky. You know, I wish I could write a book. And then, you know, people see me on stage and they say, oh, you're such a great speaker. I wish I could speak like that. You're so lucky. And what they don't see, and it's going back to, you know, the work, the backstory is, and this ties in with these rituals, is for the past, I started really reflecting back on what it is that I want to create in my life. And about two years ago, I decided on doing something actually very simple. I've been doing it already for 658 days. Okay. 658 days without missing a day. And I've been doing six little habits. They're not all done in the morning, but I want to share them because I want to show what the impact has been over time. Again, so I started 658 days ago. So people hear that and they're like, wow, that's so amazing. But nobody says that when you start day one. And so the point isn't to be at 658 days or 2,000 days. The day is be day one and then go to day two. And before you know it, it starts adding up. So I did six things that I had one rule. And it was create these six habits under the one rule, which was be able to do it even on your worst day. Okay, that's really important because think about when most of us create habits or or when we're thinking about goals and visions, you can't mentally access forward, like that forward thinking, that that future thinking, if you're in a bad place. Think about when you sit down to write your goals, most of us are in a good place where we're sitting down and we're like, okay, we're ambitious, we're we're excited, and we're saying, okay, great, these are the things I want to do. But what happens is that when you invariably hit those obstacles, when you get into your darkness, you no longer can can step up to that plate there because you're a different person from a brain perspective, right? I don't want to go into too deep with that unless you really want to. 
on the neuro the neuropsychology of that. But the point is, is that I created this one rule because I wanted consistency above all things. So I said, when I create these habits, they have to be small enough that even on my worst day, I would still be able to do them. And so I created six habits and they were meditate every day for 40 breaths. I'm going to give you specifics here so you can see how easy this is. All that meant was I would sit down or walk or stretch and focus on taking 40 deep breaths. That's it. There was no like metaphysical thing. There was no, you have to float off the ground and reach nirvana, nothing like that, right? It's take 40 breaths. That was my meditation practice. Still is. It was move, do 10 minutes of movement. And I define movement as moving your body, joints, uh, muscles, ligaments through ranges of motion that help heal, excite, and re-energize. That's, that's what it needs to have. If it doesn't have those, I don't consider it movement. This is my definition, by the way. Reach out to three people every single day and connect with them, right? So maybe it's a text, a Facebook post, something that I can do. Um, again, if I'm sick with the flu, I can still type in a text or a Facebook message. I may not be able to get on a phone call with them. On days that I feel good, I can get on a phone call with some people or I can go out and meet someone, right? Um, write 50 words. It's not a lot of words. 50 words every single day. Make a video every single day and read from a book five pages every single day. I think that's all six of them right now. I don't know if I missed one. That's awesome. And there's a, there's a lot to pick apart in all of those, Armando. Unfortunately, we won't have the time to go deeper, but I love the fact that you made it concrete and clear. You also made it approachable, like you said, even on your worst day, because often we all know what happens. We get excited about something, we get started with it, and then we hit a wall. And the next thing we know, we've given up. And so I love the fact that you have created a low bar of entry, but something that is sustainable that, of course, you could add to, but minimally you want to get to that level each and every day. So I'm really, really glad that we ended the segment with that question. And now we're going to transition to rapid fire. And I want to talk a little bit more about your uh, your running and tell us specifically, what's your favorite place or your favorite course to run? Ooh, that's a good one. I guess every <laughs> everything has like a, a sense of adventure for me. So I try to look at it through the eyes of a, of a child of wonder, but probably one of the coolest places I've ran was the Redwoods in Northern California. It felt like I was running in... Uh, like a magical forest is what it felt like. So I, I really enjoyed that. Mm, I'm sure. That sounds very interesting. Shower morning or evening? <laughs> With the training that I do, I shower morning and evening. <laughs> okay, both. Oh. Good answer. The best wake me up that's neither coffee nor exercise. Ooh, good one. Taking uh, three deep breaths while smiling and standing in Superman position. Nice. Okay. I'm, I'm envisioning that as we speak. And finally, on a scale of one to 10, how chilled are you? On a scale of one to 10, how chill am I? I know what you told us about high school. Yeah. I, I would say right now I'm probably closer to like a seven now. Okay, probably in high nice. school, I was like a, I'm sorry. Well, if 10 is most chilled. Yeah. Okay. So I would probably say right now I'm like seven or eight in high school. I was probably like one or two. 
Got it. Now that's real growth. So Armando, tell, give us an opportunity to hear a little bit more. Obviously we talked about your book, but you could direct us and everything will be in the show notes. Uh, direct us to your website, to more information about the book, how people can connect with you online or any other way that you want to give them. And then we'll wrap up our conversation. So I guess the, the hub for everything is armandocruz.com, which is my name. Uh, the book specifically, you can go to legacycodebook.com. And each one of those has my social media handles and so forth. Uh, th- those would be the two main places. Fantastic. So Armando, before we let you go today, please, you've given us so much gold to mine, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask you for one final life lesson that you could share with our listeners. Embrace patience. We, when I shared the six, the six habits, what I was saying was, you know, when I started out on day one, it didn't seem like that big a deal. Oh, you know, you wrote 50 words, but I had been writing 50 words for a year before I decided to start writing a book. Had I not started doing that before, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to have the endurance, the focus, in my, in my opinion, the ability to write the book the, the way I did. But I had put in the work before every single day. The same thing with the speaking. People are like, oh, you're a good speaker on stage. Well, I realized that I wanted to be able to communicate the best that I could. And I, and I knew that if I could get on as many stages as possible, I would become a better speaker. But I have three kids. I'm married. I've run two businesses. I don't have time to go all over the place. And I don't know that many people to be on stages every single day. So I decided that I would make a video and create my own audience, create my own stage. So for the past 658 days, I've been talking to the camera as if I was presenting in front of a stage, practicing that presence and communicating my thoughts over and over again. So Understand that if you embrace the patience and maintain consistency, you can get a lot done. Awesome. Okay, so we will wrap up today with our leadership quote. If you want to go quickly, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. African proverb. Armando, thank you so much for coming on Lead to Succeed Nation today, or Lead to Succeed Podcast, excuse me. Our nation loves the, uh, or appreciates very much your your input, your ideas, your energy, your enthusiasm, and I certainly look forward to getting to know you better over time. Thank you for having me, Nathal. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the show social proof and encourages more folks to listen. Social media junkies, please share this recording with your networks and tag me as well. I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Naftali Hoff and on Twitter at Impactful Coach. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.